Hello again and welcome back to Food Toxicology. Last time, if you recall, uh, we visited uh, the subject of food allergy. And what we tried to do is uh, introduce a, a very complex subject in a fairly compacted uh, sense and, uh, so that you get a sense of, in, in terms of the consequences of some of these immune-mediated responses to the chemicals that occur in food naturally occurring chemicals primarily, in some cases uh, modifications in terms of the cooking process, biological processes in terms of infectious or bacterial infections associated with food, or in some cases food additives. In today's lecture what we're going to do is try to talk about food intolerance and food metabolic food-related metabolic disorders as other aspects of these classifications of adverse food reactions. Our learning objectives here today, what we're going to try to do is understand the range of food intolerance and metabolic disorders related to food consumption. We're going to try to explore as uh, one of the prime sort of food intolerance uh, issues uh, celiac disease, uh, the occurrence and mechanism of that particular disease manifestation. We're going to try to understand some of the major classes of food sensitivity. We're going to try to survey some examples of food sensitivity and metabolic intolerance. Obviously, we're not going to be doing every metabolic disorder associated with food, just the major categories. We'll try to examine what's referred to as idiosyncratic food sensitivity, where in fact we find the relationship between a food chemical and an individual is somewhat case-by-case -case basis. Well, one of the classes that we have talked about in terms of food sensitivity is classical food allergy. And this typically is associated as a protein and an allergic response or immune-mediated response to a food chemical. Uh, what we're going to try to do is talk about some other aspects in terms of uh, reactions and food disorders including anaphylactoid reactions, uh, metabolic food disorders, idiosyncratic reactions. And one thing I want to make sure that you understand is that although we'll categorize these adverse food reactions, sometimes particular uh, uh, sensitivities will cross over in terms of categorization. So our attempts to identify primary mechanisms are, are uh, perhaps laudable, but perhaps not in total correctness how the disease manifests itself. In terms of one of the diseases of major uh, concern in terms of food intolerance is uh, a syndrome called celiac disease, associated with uh, celiac sprue or a whole complement of digestive upset problems associated with gluten sensitivity. Uh, this is a, a fairly widespread uh, in, in terms of its incidence in the U.S. population, about 1 in 3,000 incidents, so it's relatively common. Uh, it's one of the most common food sensitivities that, that uh, uh, will cross your, your, your range of experience, I would imagine. It is not uh, IgE-mediated. Uh, there is some uh, suggestion in terms of the research that it is a type 4 uh, delayed type hypersensitivity and that there is some cellular and immune cell uh, interactions in terms of the presentation of this disease. It's delayed and then typically uh, individuals with this disease condition uh, will have uh, about a 24 to 72 hour uh, exposure uh, delay between uh, exposure of the food and the onset of symptoms. And so this gives us a sense that uh, this is a little bit more complex presentation 
than some of the more immediate uh, food allergy responses. Uh, it typically does not involve abnormal immunity or atopy as we discussed in food allergy where people that are allergic to a whole range or cluster uh, of things uh, uh, quite often uh, celiac disease can present in people who have very limited uh, allergies or uh, uh, dermatitis uh, sorts of conditions. In terms of celiac disease, we find that ingestion of wheat, barley, and rye, which has uh, some proline-rich proteins, uh, gliadins, uh, will actually trigger uh, some sort of immune damage to the small intestine. Again, a cascading of response, and you'll hear me use that term often in food allergy and food sensitivity that essentially one range of reactions breeds another set of reactions and a cascade of responses. Uh, I can talk in, in fact uh, in, in own personal consequences of observing a cascading poison ivy response where the poison ivy was on uh, the individual's arm but in fact started getting welts at other parts of the body that were actually covered in this cascading immune response. Uh, celiac disease impairs absorption in nutrients, and so this can be uh, a pretty significant disease manifestation. In terms of the symptoms, diarrhea, bloating, weight loss, bone pain, uh, anemia, some chronic fatigue, uh, cramps, and weakness. What we find in celiac disease is we trace it to chromosome 6. It's an inherited trait, uh, so uh, parents uh, that have uh, celiac disease will be looking for it in their children. Um, the classification of this uh, in terms of uh, uh, an adverse food uh, reaction is best perhaps called an idiosyncratic reaction, uh, but it does involve uh, an immune component. So it's a little bit more complex than some of the other uh, allergic reactions that we've talked about in lecture. Another uh, uh, anaphylactoid reaction or adverse food reaction involving anaphylaxis uh, localized quite often is uh, scromboid poisoning. This results from eating fish with high histamine levels. Uh, some of the common fish types are tuna mackerel. Uh, the histamine comes from spoilage bacteria in the fish and so uh, HACCP is a big uh, concern in terms of the uh, transportation and processing of fish products uh, uh, from the catch to the table. Uh, everyone is susceptible, uh, so there is a, a broad range of response, so it's uh, the question, uh, perhaps this isn't an allergy, but it's just uh, a toxic and an exposure to uh, histamine and the consequences in terms of our reactivity to that particular chemical. It has the same uh, symptoms as a food allergy, but there is no IgE induction in this particular uh, reaction. In terms of scromboid toxicosis, other factors besides histamine in the fish uh, may actually exacerbate the reaction. Some of these are putrefactive uh, amines, uh, putrescine, uh, cadaverine uh, are, are some of those compounds. The, the odor-causing uh, amine generations associated uh, with uh, uh, dead meat. Uh, there can be some relationship with the histamine inhibitors, aminoquanine, uh, isonazid is, uh, are two of them. Uh, some of these oxidase inhibitors may be associated with scrombotoxicosis. Uh, FDA does have a food uh, action level in terms of histamine as 50 milligrams per 100 grams of fish. And I've put the chemical structure of histamine on here for you to give you an idea of what we're dealing with in scrombotoxicosis. Um, what we find um, 
is that scrombotoxicosis, uh, the disease symptomology, uh, can occur in the absence of high histamine, and so there must be a complement of other compounds uh, that also uh, associate with high histamine in the same processes that cause uh, histamine, but not necessarily uh, in, in a parallel fashion. Uh, this might be the result of increased intake of some biogenic amines, uh, such as grombotoxin, the structure that's at the bottom of this particular slide. We also find that there might be some increased synthesis of biogenic amines by gut flora uh, associated with fish consumption, uh, and also diminished breakdown of some of these amines by the gut mucosa, and so perhaps a little bit of... Uh, uh, multiple-level processing in terms of the relationship of the chemicals uh, in fish and the presentation of disease. This is a case study from uh, Pennsylvania, 1998, uh, scrimboid fish poisoning. Uh, this is uh, not necessarily a common poisoning, but it is more common than some others. Uh, now with HACCP and, and uh, management of the food system, uh, it is uh, perhaps in the past few decades less common than maybe it once was. In this particular case, uh, this is December 3rd, 1998, four adults uh, were out at a restaurant and they ate a uh, spinach tuna salad uh, at a restaurant. Their symptoms uh, included a burning sensation in the mouth, metallic taste, facial flushing, nausea, diarrhea, sweating, and headache. The symptoms uh, occurred about five minutes to two hours uh, after eating the salad. Uh, one was taken to the uh, local emergency department and treated uh, uh, with uh, epinephrine. Uh, the other three patients were examined and released. Um, the uh, presumptive diagnosis was scromboid fish uh, poisoning based on clinical and epidemiological presentation of this particular case. Uh, in terms of the follow-up analysis, uh, in terms of the uh, uh, public health authorities in Pennsylvania, sample of the remaining fish was actually taken to the laboratory. Uh, it did uh, test positive for coliform and E. coli, and uh, the histamine uh, tests uh, indicated that greater than 50 parts per million uh, was uh, uh, of histidine was uh, histamine was um, actually present in the fish tissue. Uh, whereas about 10 part per million is the normal uh, 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 concentration of this compound in fish. This followed up with an investigation of looking at the uh, wholesale to retail uh, chain of events in the particular uh, destinations of this food product. Uh, this particular analysis, uh, all the way from uh, the uh, um, uh, catching of the fish, uh, the type of fish, uh, and uh, its storage along the way, actually all uh, uh, appeared to be within HACCP guidelines in terms of temperature maintenance of the food product. And so uh, there was no HACCP violation. Uh, about all the investigators could come up with was perhaps uh, that this particular mechanism, uh, method of fishing, long line fishing, uh, where the line is out so far that the fish gets hooked and perhaps struggles and perhaps um, maybe even uh, uh, drowns on line might be uh, a more risky, uh, a more hazardous way in terms of uh, managing uh, a fish product. Uh, uh, and so there was uh, at least a, a call a little bit for a, a follow-up investigation of this method of catch versus others and its presentation of scromboid fish poisoning. 
In terms of uh, anaphylactoid reactions, strawberry allergy is one of these categories. Uh, this is uh, an allergy that has been uh, relatively difficult uh, in terms of laboratory study. Uh, it does have anaphylactoid and rash presentation, uh, urticaria. No allergen has been identified in strawberries. Uh, strawberries do not contain uh, histamine. Uh, there is a release of endogenous histamine upon eating, and so there is the potential for some reaction but it does not appear to be IgE-mediated in terms of being a true food allergy. Um, food sensitivities is another category of adverse food reactions. The two best-known food sensitivities are lactose intolerance and favism. We'll explore favism in terms of natural uh, food, uh, natural plant toxins uh, in a lecture later on in the semester. In terms of metabolic food disorders, typically these are genetically determined disorders. Uh, it affects the host ability to metabolize food, for instance, in lactose intolerance. There are altered uh, metabolic patterns that uh, em enhances host sensitivity to a particular chemical. Uh, in, in the case of favism, it's to the uh, oxidative chemicals that are in uh, legumes of certain types. Uh, celiac disease uh, could also be classified, another cross-classification aspect, as a uh, metabolic food disorder. Lactose intolerance uh, individuals, uh, they lack a uh, beta-galactosidase uh, enzyme or lactase enzyme. Um, it metabolizes this particular enzyme, uh, lactose to glucose and uh, galactose in the intestinal mucosa. Uh, what happens is lactose cannot be metabolized and therefore bacteria in the colon break this down to CO2, hydrogen, and H2O. So a lot of gas and bloating associated with the consumption of dairy products. This uh, ends up in a manifestation of uh, abdominal cramping and flatulence, frothy diarrhea, a very uncomfortable uh, food disorder, uh, lactose intolerance. Its occurrence is about 6 to 12 percent in Caucasians, about 60 to 90 percent in Arabs, uh, Greeks, Jews, Black Americans, Hispanics, and Japanese uh, uh, individuals. It can occur uh, in children, but more commonly it occurs in adults. Uh, it typically is more severe in adults as well. Uh, lactase is in the gut at birth, and it may decrease with age in terms of enhancing susceptibility in older adults. Secondary lactose intolerance is caused by uh, some other intestinal problems, and it's uh, sometimes associated with failure to absorb lactose. Uh, it can be uh, a response of uh, a previous condition of viral gastroenteritis, some intestinal damage. Uh, if there is a, a disease condition, uh, an illness condition of the gut uh, that does heal, sometimes the secondary lactose intolerance does disappear after this particular uh, 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 healing. One of the ways we diagnose lactose intolerance is with a lactose tolerance test. Uh, this involves an oral administration of uh, lactose uh, uh, to a fasting person, so it's isolated. Uh, they measure the blood glucose and the breath uh, hydrogen as the uh, uh, byproducts of this particular uh, uh, biometabolism. Uh, they monitor GIT symptoms uh, to see if there's bloating, discomfort, uh, the associated uh, clinical uh, symptoms associated with lactose intolerance.
some of the problems associated with the lactose tolerance test uh, has a lot to do with the relatively uh, high dose. 50 grams is equal to a liter of milk. That's a significant dose. Um, in lactose tolerance, uh, many people can handle smaller doses uh, of lactose. Uh, more recent tests uh, use a smaller dose or gradually increasing dose as a, as a diagnostic tool. Uh, some people uh, have normal lactase levels, but for uh, various idiosyncratic reasons, they're still intolerant and demonstrate some lactose intolerance. The way lactose uh, intolerance is treated uh, is primarily by uh, avoidance of dairy products. And uh, it may not be that complete avoidance uh, is needed, depending upon the sensitivity of the individual. Uh, small divided doses of milk uh, are sometimes uh, acceptable. Uh, there can be uh, an addition of lactase uh, to the milk or other uh, enzymes or bacteria that, uh, such as acidophilus milk uh, that have lactase that uh, assist in the digestion process. Another form of metabolic food disorder is uh, called favism. This uh, results from an inherited deficiency of glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase enzyme in red blood cells. Uh, this can have dramatic consequences following the ingestion of certain broad beans like fava beans uh, or somehow breathing the uh, pollen of these beans that contain uh, the same sorts of proteins. Uh, the disease manifestation is hemolytic anemia. Uh, this can, ha again, have serious consequences and uh, potentially multi-organ failure. Uh, some of the other symptoms, pallor fatigue, shortness of breath, nausea, abdominal pain, and fever. In favism, what happens, uh, the, these, these particular uh, fava beans have uh, some oxidants, uh, uh, visine and convisine. Uh, these particular oxidants uh, will oxidize uh, tissues and cells. Uh, the uh, G6PDH uh, is critical to red blood cell synthesis, um, and so there is an imbalance uh, associated with the oxidative imbalance and oxidative uh, damage to these uh, red blood cells. In terms of the occurrence of favism, this is the most common uh, enzyme uh, defect in uh, human population. Globally, about 100 million people uh, suffer from this particular metabolic disorder. Uh, in broad categories, uh, it occurs in Asians, Jews, uh, Sardinians, Cypriot, uh, Greeks, uh, African blacks. Um, it does not occur uh, in Caucasians uh, to any degree, uh, American Indians or Eskimos. And so there is a, uh, a uh, uh, seems to be a racial cultural uh, divide there in terms of uh, the occurrence of favism. It's more common in males and females, and it's more severe in infants and children in terms of the presentation of disease. Other metabolic disorders include uh, the sulfur-smelling urine uh, following consumption of asparagus that uh, affects some people. Uh, this comes from the inability to metabolize uh, one of the sulfur compounds, uh, methanthiol, uh, which is uh, then excreted in urine, giving it that uh, uh, significant smell. Uh, there are other compounds, I will tell you, in asparagus that do have smells, and so it's a uh, something that... Uh, uh, is kind of part of our own individual bioprocessing. 
other metabolic disorders include red wine uh, sensitivity, uh, where the individual experiences sneezing, uh, itching, flushing, uh, headache, uh, shortness of breath. Uh, some of that is associated with uh, impaired histamine degradation. Uh, some possible uh, diamine oxidase deficiencies associated with the individual as well. Uh, other metabolic disorders include uh, betanuria or beturia, which is uh, a, a disease uh, associated or metabolic disorder associated with the inability to process the red uh, uh, coloring uh, in beets. Uh, it yields red urine. Um, this is uh, not a uh, necessarily uh, a disease other than the fact uh, uh, red urine is upsetting to, to many individuals because it may be an indicator of uh, kidney failure. And so people that get a surprising discovery that they have this particular disorder uh, are sometimes uh, get overly concerned about other diseases. I read one statistic that about 15% of the population in the UK are, have uh, beturia and experience this, this particular condition. Another metabolic disorder may have to do with phenylethylamine metabolism and chocolate sensitivity and chocolate bringing on migraine headaches. Uh, there's fructose intolerance that yields some gastrointestinal tract problems and hypoglycemia uh, may be resulting from reduced hepatic atelase uh, enzymes. Some other uh, food sensitivities can be classified as idiosyncratic reactions. The mechanisms are unknown. Uh, some of these reactions, some of these sensitivities are actually uh, well documented, like sulfite sensitivity. Uh, some of them are anecdotal, where there's only weak evidence, and that's, for instance, yellow dye or MSG, monosodium glutamate uh, sensitivity. And we'll talk about some of these in our food additive lectures here in this course. Many of these are uh, disproved, but there is some popular belief out there uh, of, about food sensitivities uh, and reactivity of uh, some, some of the additives in food products. Uh, some food coloring especially uh, seem to be uh, disproved, but still have some popular belief that there is a, a sensitivity out there. The proven idiosyncratic uh, reactions in terms of adverse food reactions include sulfites and its relationship to asthma, celiac disease and the relationship to cereal products, and aspartame reactivity leading to uh, urticaria or rashes. Uh, some of the unproven idiosyncratic reactions uh, include uh, rashes associated with BH, BHT, BHA, um, and benzoate preservatives, the relationship of asthma and rashes to yellow dye number five, uh, the relationship to, of aspartame to migraine headaches, uh, the relationship of sugar to aggressive behavior, and the relationship of MSG, monosodium glutamate, to uh, Chinese restaurant syndrome and asthma. In terms of the idiosyncratic uh, reactions that are, have been disproved in terms of uh, uh, clinical study, uh, hypokinesis in children, hyperactive children, uh, being somewhat related to uh, food coloring agents uh, in the diet has been disproven. In terms of uh, uh, food additive uh, relationships uh, to hypersensitivity that have been uh, confirmed uh, are sulfite food additives. What these uh, compounds do is they prevent uh, enzymatic and non-enzymatic browning of food. Uh, so it has been used uh, historically in salad bars. 
Uh, it does have antimicrobial, antioxidant properties. Uh, it's used as a dough conditioner, as a bleaching agent, uh, for instance, in maraschino cherries and in hominy. Sulfite-induced uh, sulfite asthma is triggered uh, by exposure to uh, sulfites. There's an acute onset in the order of minutes. Uh, it can be severe. There have been uh, deaths that have been documented associated with sulfite-induced asthma. Uh, its use on salad bars has been banned. Um, lettuce is a problem because uh, lettuce naturally has a relatively high free sulfite level. Uh, natural levels in the human diet, however, are quite low. In terms of sulfite additives in foods for people that are sensitive or have uh, sulfite uh, uh, sensitivity, uh, dried raisins and prunes have levels of about 500 to 2,000 parts per million. Uh, Lemon-lime juices, uh, 150 to 800 parts per million. Grape juice, 50 to 250 parts per million. Wine, uh, 20 to 350 parts per million. Molasses, 125. And shrimp, and, and uh, um, 100, um, 10 to 100. Uh, the FDA has uh, ordered that products in excess of 10 parts per million must have the label contain sulfites. You'll see this uh, occasionally on wine bottles, for example. In sulfite asthma, the mechanism, uh, it does span the anaphylactoid, metabolic, and idiosyncratic classes of adverse food reactions. There is some IgE mediation of the response. Uh, there is some uh, evidence of a sulfite oxidase deficiency. And uh, we also find a, hyper, a respiratory hypersensitivity to inhaled sulfur dioxide. Um, individual tolerance uh, in terms of exposure to sulfite uh, varies significantly, uh, the range being 3 to perhaps 130 milligrams of exposure. Another uh, food additive uh, that uh, has been explored in terms of idiosyncratic uh, um, adverse food reaction is uh, tartrazine. This is a case of induced asthma and rashes. Uh, tartrazine is FD&C yellow dye number five. There's been reports of asthma and rashes in children. Uh, FDA required labeling in 1979, and there have been numerous uh, product recalls because of the failure to list on the label uh, that this particular dye is used in the food product. There have been some problems associated with uh, uh, tartrazine-induced asthma uh, in rashes. Uh, there was no effects observed on follow-up double-blind studies. Uh, withholding medications like bronchial inhalers uh, seem to discount the effects as well. Uh, there are a range of similar problems with other food additive studies uh, and the associated uh, presentation of rashes, uh, primarily in flawed design of the studies. And so the consequences of this is uh, there's no clear picture of the relationship of these compounds and food reaction. Food additives and, and chronic rashes, uh, what we find uh, in terms of uh, anecdotal relationships and observed relationships, uh, FDNC yellow dye number five, sunset yellow FDNC number six, sodium benzoate, benzoic acid, parabens, BHA, BHT. Uh, the suspect in terms of the cause-effect relationship for these compounds is very suspect. Um, with that, uh, that kind of ends our um, 
relationship of food uh, to the immune system and the immune consequences in terms of adverse uh, food reactions. What we've tried to do is demonstrate, again, a cause-effect relationship in the classical toxicology side sense of uh, the uh, allergens the, and the immune-mediated responses associated with food allergy and then some of the other consequences associated with adverse food reactions, including uh, various types of metabolic disorders and idiocratic sensitivities. Uh, next time, what we'll try to do is explore follow-up uh, in terms of some of these food additives and, as well, in a further lecture, look at biotechnology and its presentation of uh, what one might regard as a foreign substance, uh, a new substance in a food product, and how that might have a relationship to the presentation of food allergy. Until that time, we'll see you all later. Thanks so much.